Hej och välkomna till Fritankes podd. Jag heter Christer Sturmark och är förlagschef på Fritanke. Idag gästas vi av professor Dan Cahan, amerikansk professor i juridik och psykologi. Och det är en väldigt intressant kombination för att han forskar på hur vi människor bedömer fakta på olika sätt baserat på vilken värdegrund vi har. Så kallat motivated reasoning. Han har visat i ett antal experiment hur vi faktiskt inte är objektiva när vi analyserar fakta beroende på om de talar för eller emot vår egen grunduppfattning. Oerhört spännande forskning. Och Dan Kay han menar att det, här, det är inte är en bildningsfråga. Det handlar inte om att vi är dåliga på att förstå statistik eller, att, eller vetenskapligt tänkande eller vetenskaplig kunskap. Utan det handlar helt enkelt om att vi är så oerhört starkt styrda av vårt behov av att tillhöra en identitet, en gruppidentitet med en viss värdegrund. Så att vi kompromissar med helt enkelt det rationella tänkandet om det inte passar vår, vår, vår grunduppfattning. Lyssna på ett spännande samtal om människans kognitiva brister. So, Professor Dan Cahan, welcome to the Free Tanke podcast. Oh, well, thank you for having me. You're a professor of law and psychology, right? That's correct. How do those two disciplines mix? Um, well, they, they're a really good match. Um, in the United States, in the legal system, uh, it's very important to understand the psychology of the, the jury um, and even of the judge. Uh, we have lots of issues involving uh, expert testimony um, that will then rest on uh, how people understand that evidence. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of points of contact um, in that direction, um, but there's also points of contact in the other direction that psychology Uh, is very efficiently um, and effectively studied in the context of law. Um, you, the law furnishes you with so many uh, kinds of phenomena and scenarios where uh, you can test um, people's uh, process of, of uh, perception, um, how they understand information. So it's a good mix. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I see. Can you can you tell us a little about a little bit about your your research focus right now? It's into judging facts, right? Right. So, uh, well, we we're familiar with the phenomenon in the United States. You, it's 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 pervasive. Um, maybe in Sweden, it's a bit less, but I bet you still have it, um, where people uh, will become divided, uh, essentially on political grounds, um, on facts. Um, and and it's it's strange to think about it, really, because you can understand why people who uh, put a different emphasis, say, on the value of, of liberty relative um, to equality would disagree about what to do um, if they both agreed on what the facts are. But the, those two people, it turns out, disagree about what the facts are on climate change, um, gun control, uh, the HPV vaccine, and lots of other issues. I mean, these are hard issues uh, often. But people's perceptions of them aren't sort of distributed uh, randomly in the population. Certain groups form these clusters of, of fact perceptions, um, and that's mainly what my research focuses on. Would you say that uh, you can, in a sense, divide fact beliefs into categories, those who sort of define your identity and those who yeah. don't? Well, it, it's important to recognize, um, notwithstanding how Uh, conspicuous and dramatic the debates are over facts. Um, most of the time, people agree about the facts, regardless of what their their political outlooks are. And so, uh, you don't want to ignore all the places where they where they agree. Um, so there really has to be something 
distinctive and strange that's happened to make them focus on facts. Um, and it's not it's not useful to anyone because if you if you don't know what the facts are, you can't even identify with confidence what policies um, would implement your your values. Right? We're used to values being in conflict. We think that's part of what democracy is for. Um, but democracy doesn't work nearly so well when people have differences of opinion on fact. Um, so I mean, I think that's kind of a pathology, um, both in the sense that it doesn't happen that often, um, and in the sense that uh, it's it's very bad um, for self-government when it does. Mm. I think you mentioned in this conference you're attending in in Sweden right now. You mentioned an experiment where you show a film of yeah. people demonstrating. Against well, this could have been the answer to the. You you asked me about the relationship between the psychology and the law. Um, well, one example, uh, we did a study uh, where we had the um, the study participants uh, imagine that they were on the jury um, of a case where there was a conflict between political protesters and the police, and the police had arrested the protesters for engaging in a, in a public disturbance. And the protesters said, well, we were just uh, peacefully marching and chanting. Um, and the police said, "No, no, you were you were intimidating people, and you you were blocking entrance to public buildings." Um, and we said, "Well, you know, fortunately, this was all captured on a videotape, um, and so we had people watch the videotape. Um, we didn't tell them that that, that uh, there were two different uh, uh, ways to frame what the videotape was. We told one group that it was a, a protest outside an abortion clinic, and that the protesters were anti-abortion. Uh, we told the other half uh, that there the uh, the demonstration was taking place at the military recruitment center at a time when the United States still excluded gays and lesbians from the military and that that was what the protesters were concerned about. Um, so we, we saw that people who had different basic worldviews or values um, would argue about what the facts were if they thought they were watching the same kind of protest. Um, did, did that person really hit somebody on the head? Were they really blocking the building? But they were the people with this, the same values were, were disagreeing with each other if they thought they were watching different kinds of videos, right? So the group that had one values but thought they were watching the demonstration at the abortion clinic were convinced that the the center was being blocked, whereas their their counterparts in the military uh, recruitment center version said no, it, it wasn't. But they're watching the same movie, mm. um, and and here you see we have uh, as part of our constitutional law that you can't uh, stop people from demonstrating um, just on the basis of their ideas and disagreeing with them. Um, but here, th they said, well, we're disagreeing with what they did, um, things that even somebody who's not protesting would be allowed to do, block people from going into the to a building, for example. Um, but very uh, unknown to them, they were seeing uh, these kinds of, of legally uh, regulable harms only when they disagreed with what the protesters were saying. So it comes out the same way, even when you have this rule um, that says focus on what they're doing, not what they're saying. Um, and if you think about it, to me, that, that, that that's kind of a um, really instructive example for science communication. Um, it's the same kind of people um, arguing with each other, uh, seeing different things, um, as they're arguing about something like climate change um, or gun control um, in the United States. Um, if you don't, if you only look at science uh, conflicts and controversies, naturally you become convinced that there must be something about science that people aren't accepting. We have to do something so that people can recognize the best science. It doesn't have anything to do with science. It affects science, but the cause of these kinds of disagreements are not science. 
the cause is the, the perpetual disagreement of these groups um, on how to live and what their status should be. Um, and sometimes what the facts are about some disputed incident become associated with that. And then they're going to disagree. Um, and that's happened to, it doesn't happen to all science issues, but it's happened to some. Um, but, but that's what you need to understand. Why mm. do people who have these different understandings of the best life um, sometimes come to see certain kinds of factual disputes um, as ones that uh, somehow uh, will determine or evidence uh, the, the answer to that question, who's on top and who's on the bottom. Mm. But <clears throat> this is, of course, quite depressing that people react like this, I think. But would you say, is there any evidence that people who are aware of these kinds of experiments <laughs> actually are a little bit better on judging or doesn't it matter I don't think well I'll tell you I feel like in my own case it's it's very hard to this isn't about psychoanalysis I'm just Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to say this person or that person individually who knows but in larger groups um, this is an important dynamic of how they interact Um, but a person has a hard time deciding am am I uh, reacting this way Um, I'm convinced that uh, there have been times when I've been influenced by these kinds of dynamics myself, even in putting experiments together. Um, I feel like I'm doing that. Um, but the evidence is that even if you know that this kind of, of thing happens, um, you're not necessarily very good at determining when it's happening to you. Um, you might be pretty good at determining whether it's happening to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of the problem, you know, the, the perception even that other people are evincing this kind of resistance uh, to reason. Um, you're more likely to attribute that to somebody else. Um, it can actually be uh, a kind of counterproductive sometimes to try to tell people to, st- to steer away from this. Um, there are studies that show that if you just tell people, be objective about this, um, that makes things worse. They thought they were being objective already. And so if you, you're telling them that they should have to admit before they change their mind that they weren't being objective, um, or if they, they're aware that many people who are their, their, their peers feel this way, oh, well, maybe they're not being objective. Um, that, that's not something that's likely to happen. So sometimes when you exhort people um, to, to try to, to, to uh, fortify themselves against this kind of bias, all they do is fortify themselves to changing their mind. Mm, I see. You uh, have also mentioned an experiment with a diagram showing something about some skin cream. And yeah. Can, can well, you this is quite remarkable. That this tendency I'm describing, which... Um, sometimes it's called the, the motivated reasoning. Um, motivated reasoning refers to the tendency of people to selectively credit um, or uh, dismiss pieces of information or evidence in patterns that um, reflect th- their, their group membership. Um, and all manner of information, I have told you that the, the people, what they see with their own eyes can be uh, a source of this, but also their ability to do math. Um, so we've had people examine experiment results um, on controversial issues like gun control, and uh, they'll actually look at the, the, the evidence which has been summed up and put into a table. Um, how many, how many uh, communities did crime uh, go down in? How many did it go up in? Once they had a ban on carrying weapons in public, um, they'll actually make mistakes. Uh, they w- wouldn't make the mistake if they were thinking about something like you mentioned, um, whether a new skin cream yeah. um, is working. They might get the right answer on that. It's the same problem, but now it's it, it's being attached to some kind of disputed issue, and they ha- that they're going to get the right answer if 
the, the evidence in the table supports their group's view, but they'll get the wrong answer if, if the evidence uh, uh, supports the view that's against their own group's uh, uh, position on the, the the gun control issue. So those are two different kinds of, of reason, two two kinds different kinds of ways of of uh, assessing evidence. You know, one analytically looking at the math, the other uh, just the the brute sense impression of what you see with your eyes. But it's the same same kind of process. So it's very pervasive. I see. What what do you think is the actual explanation for this? I mean, is there an evolutionary psychology well, explanation? I tell you, anything you observe, there's an evolutionary explanation yeah, for okay. it. There's also, it's possible to have evolutionary explanations for things that don't exist. Um, so I, I resist this tendency to try to explain everything in terms of the evolutionary um, biology. That something more uh, more available and, and proximate that you can see is at the root of this. Um, people uh, rightly understand um, that some issues have become uh, fused with uh, social meanings that turn them into badges of identity in, and loyalty to um, certain important groups to which they belong. They know um, that if they voice the view that's opposed to the one that's dominant in their group, um, that that will be bad news for them, that that will create tension for them. Um, under those conditions, it's it's very natural for people to adopt a style, even unconsciously, um, of, of assessing evidence in ways that will bring them into alignment with, with other groups. Um, mm -hmm. That's that's a, the mechanism, although, you know, it's mechanisms all the way down. You can say, why do they do that? Why do they do that? Um, I, I, I mentioned uh, earlier the, the experiment we did where people watch the protesters on the film. Um, and I say, well, the explanation for that is this, uh, motivated reasoning, but you could still say, well, how how does that work? Um, what's the cause of that? And uh, I, I would have said, well, my guess is that people just see kind of this blur of colors that, on the screen, people doing this and doing that, and they just interpret it in light of some template they have in their head about how these situations work. But that turns out to be wrong. A colleague of mine showed that uh, when you use eye tracking equipment, you can see that the people who are predisposed to see the police as the bad actors, they're focusing their attention the whole time on the police. Whereas those who expect the protesters to be the bad guys, they're focusing all of their attention on them. So even before they start to make sense of the information, they're mining the, the, the field of impressions for bits that will support their view. And I found that quite astonishing, right? But you could say, why do they do that? And so forth. Yeah, it's yeah. mechanisms all the way down. Tell me, of all these experiments you have made, is there any certain experiment that surprised you more than any else? Well, I, I was certainly surprised by uh, something that uh, my research group uh, came upon when we were doing experiments to try to uh, show, try to help uh, science documentary producers uh, to use evidentiary methods to improve their, their craft. Um, we, we had a... Uh, measure of science curiosity uh, that was part of the study um, because we wanted to know whether the, the films were being uh, produced in a way that was was uh, engaging the interest of people who were most likely to want to watch those kinds of movies in the first place and you people who are science curious or your your core audience um, and then just out of uh, kind of a well we, we just who knows randomly we also included 
uh, measures of people's perceptions of different kinds of risks like climate change and gun control and so forth um, in one of the studies that, that we were doing for the science documentary producers. And we, we saw that the people who were high in science curiosity, they weren't polarizing like the way people normally do in these kinds of experiments and these kinds of, of questions. Um, and now we, we, were, we were shocked because we had examined so many uh, ways in which people process information, you know, from their brute sense impressions to doing the math to crediting one sort of expert and not another. Here's something, though, where, where, that, that the pattern doesn't apply. As you become more curious, you don't polarize what's going on. So we then did an experiment um, where uh, we told the participants to pick a newspaper article um, that they thought it would be interesting to read. Um, usually because of motivated reasoning, people will expose themselves to information on political issues in a way that's slanted towards supporting their view. Um, but the people who are science curious, they didn't do that. They, they were just as happy to pick the uh, news story that went ag against the position of their group if they thought it had interesting evidence they hadn't heard of before. So they were, they were actually getting a, a richer diet of information about uh, contested issues in society than the people who are less science curious. And, and so maybe that's why they didn't polarize as much. Um, although we, we weren't, we're not 100% sure, we need to do more studies of that. But that was very surprising. Um, and I would say in general too, if you do empirical research, that there's a, a principle, the conservation of perplexity, um, that every time you think you, you've answered one question, two or three more questions that you, can, you don't have the answer to have been revealed by your research. And so you have to start studying those. You never, you never reduce the number of, of things that puzzle you if you study things this way. But I, and some people might be frustrated by that. I think it's great. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's great. I mean, curiosity is the, it's the quality of life. <laughs> yeah, but of course, you know, it's not the first time that people have pointed out that there's value in curiosity. Um, we, should, we should try to promote curiosity in children and adults. That's easier said than done. Mm, that's true, that's true. Um, uh, I guess you're familiar with the Swedish research on choice blindness. No, uh, tell me about it. Well, well uh, basically, uh, you get to... You get to answer a, a set of quite complicated political questions where you are asked to t make a stand A or B, which is yes. in a sense value related. And then you are fooled to, when you fill in the blanket, the, the leader of the experiment takes it out and says, oh, yes. we're going to research it. I'm familiar it. with yeah, that, yes. and, and the copy is yes. saying that you voted the opposite. Yes, yes. Cho cho Choose the opposite. Yeah. And then you ra rationalize and you actually, first of all, you don't discover that you that they have changed right. it. Yes. And then you explain yes. why you made remarkable, that Remarkable, very remarkable, uh, yeah. Would you say that that kind of psychology relates to what you are researching? Or is uh, it something else? Well, it, it, it's related to it. Um, it's probably yeah something something distinct, um, but there is this kind of um, a phenomenon. It's very broad that people will uh, come up with. They, they they act on the basis of their intuition. Um, th they know what they want before they would have any reason to make an argument about it. But still, if if asked why you made that choice, we'll start to give you reasons. All of those yeah. reasons are sort of after the fact. Right, that okay. you construct the reasons. They're confabulations yeah. that people people lay out this, this theory that then explains what they did, and so the study you described is an instance of that. Um, but it's very surprising to think um, that they uh, would have the sort of relationship to the the positions they were expressing in an, in a, a survey about political issues 
um, that would uh, result in their not being fooled, you know, when they were told, well, why did you pick this for your answer? I I find it hard to believe, you know, that they would do that. It's not hard to believe that whatever their position is, they would have an instinct that long preceded the reasons that they had and Mm. it might give you some account of the reasons that it doesn't make sense. Um, but but that 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 phenomenon of recognizing um, what the right answer is for you is pretty common. I mean, it, it's mm. it it sounds exotic, but it, 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 well, do you know about the chick sexers? So it's a, Which? It, chick sexers they're called. It's an industry. Uh, well, the poultry industry. You know, it's very important to separate the male and the female chicks from each other because the, the females they're much more valuable, the more tender meat, and they make more eggs. And the men, you know, they, they pack at the, the mm-hmm. female. So they, they, they come down a, a belt, um, and the uh, chick sexer grabs it, looks at it, and kind of, well, they, they, they throw away most of the male chicks. Some they keep, which live, they live a kind of very good life. But they, um, the one that they're, they're getting rid of these males, and they're doing it at a super high rate, you know, but they're getting 99% accuracy. And the, the amazing thing is if you look, you can't tell the difference um, between the, the male and the female at, at that stage, at that few minutes after they're born. Um, and you ask them, well, how do you know? Um, and some of them, they just say, I don't know. I just do. But others will confabulate. They'll tell you stories. You know, oh, the little the, the male chick, he'll ask you for a light of a cigarette or something like that. They give themselves <laughs> away. Um, okay. But you see, that they, they, they got training where they were shown over and over again, male, female, female, until they developed reliable intuitions. Um, oh. And this is, a, this is pervasive. This is pattern recognition. It's the way we recognize faces. Right? It's the way that many professionals do their jobs. You, you look at a, um aerial photograph. Oh, those are missiles that are being put down in Cuba. You know, you would, yeah. How would you know this? Because the person has pattern recognition. Um, and, and I'm sure that that's one thing that's involved in the, the, the sort of thing I was describing with, with watching the movies. Mm. Um, and the amazing thing is that uh, somehow the subjects in the study you told me, they weren't doing that because they, they didn't recognize the answers they had given the first time. But people come up with their, they know what's right, usually in matter of politics, before they can explain what the right answer is. And then the question is, are they just, when you ask them why, are they just being like the chick sexer who, who explains why, right, and gives you an answer that's not really an accurate representation of what he or she was doing. But it seems like the human brain <clears throat> is desperate to sort of rationalize its behavior. <laughs> I mean, there yeah. is this experiment where you, through some electric magnetic field can make someone laugh I mean yes. you, you affect yes. the brain uh, to, and you start to laugh and then you ask the person why do you laugh and they say well it's because you're having this weird t-shirt yes. or yes. you have this funny look in your face but it's not of course not true it is because the electrical stimulation yes. of the brain I mean and, and to me the interesting question there is did they elaborate so that the observer would have a, a good reason to think that they did what they did I, I suspect they would, in their own minds, um, come up with an account too, because you don't see yourself as just reacting randomly to things, no. and your instinct to laugh does occur before you actually can identify what the reason is. So, um, but yeah, we want to have I, I, it's perfectly reasonable uh, an account of what we're doing that makes sense, yeah. um, and sometimes that's what we're doing doesn't make sense, or it makes sense for reasons that aren't. Um, accessible to us and we come up with a story it's true yeah yeah, yeah. but this is about fa- um, pattern recognition and face recognition yeah, yeah. I, I think it's so fascinating that even that 
we're quite good at face, face recognition, but we're not really realistic. There is this yeah. experiment, for example, where, where you have, you put up hundreds of small pictures on a computer screen randomly, and one yeah. of the pictures is of you. And you, you, try, you test how fast you identify yourself. Uh-huh. And you do this many times. And the thing is, if the picture of you is photoshopped, so you look a little bit better than you normally do, yeah. then you find yourself faster. Oh, really? On the That's quite amazing. Yeah, <laughs> I was familiar so, with that one. Uh-huh. Yeah, so the brain, you know. So in uh, your mind, you look better than you do, and exactly. so you find yourself. Yeah. Quite interesting. Yeah. But anyway, back to, to your basic research. I mean, this, is, uh, th- this tendency, this psychological tendency, uh, is of course not so good for, for politics or for democracy. Yeah. Uh, I have two questions, actually. The first is, do you think that this plays a role in the polarized situation right now with Trump and everything? And the second question is, do you have any strategy to to, to take down the bad effects yeah, well, of this? You know, I, I think it's happening with all kinds of aspects of our politics and with, with Trump. Um, there was the famous uh, story about how uh, the the photograph of the mm. area around the, the U.S. Capitol um, uh, displayed the number of people who were attending the inauguration, um, and the Trump supporters thought that there were more people on it than the, the Trump uh, antagonists. Uh, so that's a good example. But with all kinds of policies and, and so forth, um, wh- what the motivation is and, and who's on which side, it's it's mysterious. You know, you try to figure these things out. But the reason that this is, is so difficult to treat is that it's actually probably good for the individuals who experience this. Um, the, imagine you're at the, the, fo- the, the football uh, game and uh, the referee calls your player out of bounds or something like this and you lose the game, it's over. It, it's not going to do you a lot of good to turn around and, and say to all the other people who are rooting for your team, no, no, our guy really was out of bounds. You know, maybe we'll win next year. The, you know, people will react this way when they see the sports events. And, and in common, the team member, the team supporters will think, oh, look at the referee is against us. That's a situation where uh, the conspiracy between your sense perceptions and your, your emotional attachment to the group um, is serving your interests. And, and it's also, people would think, mainly harmless. Um, the problem is if, if you start to make decisions like whether your daughter should get the HPV vaccine yeah. that also are partaking of this same kind of motivation to be a good part of the team, it's not funny at that stage. And no. I think people, if they learned that that's what it amounts to, would be horrified. Um, and what they would do is they would hope that people would, who study this come up with ways to try to avoid that happening. But you see the, the motivation to do this, these issues, for whatever reason, have become entangled with common understandings in ways that make them, as I said, badges of membership in these groups. Um, the HPV vaccine is a little bit trickier, but on something like uh, global warming, it doesn't make any difference what an ordinary person thinks about it. It doesn't make the climate change. It, your, your, your own carbon footprint is going to be too insignificant to matter. Um, if you argue with people, maybe you could or maybe you wouldn't persuade one or two of them. It's not going to matter. Your vote is too inconsequential in a big society like Sweden or the United States, even if we were voting on this issue to matter. So if you make a mistake about the science on any of those issues, it just doesn't make any difference to you or anybody you care about. But if you evince the wrong attitude, the wrong position on one of these issues that's become 
identifying for your group, you could be in a lot of trouble. Mm. People could lose their confidence in you. You might lose support um, among people for, for whom your psychic and material well-being demands that you have a close connection. This is what has to change then, the, the entanglement of the position with the identity in the group. Because as long as that uh, entanglement exists, it'll actually be in the interest of the individuals who are members of that group to assess the information that way. If everybody does that all at once, society is in trouble because then people who are in diverse groups are less likely to converge on the best evidence about the kinds of things that threaten their well-being. Even that doesn't change the psychic incentives for any individual. So that what you have is a kind of tragic conflict between individual and collective rationality. Right? So you, the only way to, to fix it, I think, is to remove what would be the kind of identity-based uh, incentive that people have uh, to form uh, factual impressions that match what the groups are. We don't have that every, on everything, and, mm -hmm. and we should have it on fewer things um, because that's what makes it so difficult to, to have society get the benefit of scientific knowledge on these po when they're, they're policy-relevant science. Hmm, I see. Okay, thank you very much, You're Dan, welcome. for talking to me. <laughs>